You're listening to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Gerard with space. Puts it towards Barosh. He's been tipped through it. The goalkeeper made contact. Luis Garcia was in front of the line. Gallas hooked it away. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast. We had a big weekend in European football, and uh, that obviously brings Andrew Pissarro back to the podcast. Uh, we weren't, we're we're going to have him on either way, but we're going to do 10, 15 minutes on the Champions League final. You know, started off like a pretty pretty disappointing weekend, Andrew, but uh, things got better. Yeah, well, it was an interesting weekend for soccer, but before we dig into the match, I need to give you the full rundown of how I watched this game, because I don't, I don't think I've told you about this yet. No. Uh, obviously, new job, low man on the totem pole, Champions League is Memorial Day weekend, so I had to work on Saturday. Oh my god, don't tell me you missed the game. I didn't miss the game. I okay. had the game on, but my, the show that I was working was 2-6, to six, and... Uh, on a positive side for, for producing the show, both of my hosts, which is pretty uncommon, were actually in my studio. So, you know, there was no possibility of a host's internet crapping out. There was no tech issues that was going to happen during the show. But both of my hosts decided that they wanted to sit in our studio and do the show live from there. So from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., oh. I had to be quiet. <laughs> Imagine being as big of a soccer fan as I am, having the biggest game that you've ever watched, you've ever had your team in, and you're producing a live show and you can't talk at the same time. So not only did Liverpool lose, I really didn't have the ability to like emotionally express myself while this was you going on. You couldn't react, on. and there yeah. were plenty of moments to react to. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you want to just yeah. hit on them chronologically? Because I think perhaps... The biggest moment of the game is, uh, what was it, like the 29th minute or something when uh, Mohamed Salah went off with that injury? Yeah, uh, and, and and my opinion about this is, yeah, I think it was a dirty move by Ramos. We all knew I was going to say that, but I think the bigger point is... I agree with you, by the way. <laughs> I felt we were robbed of a great game. I would have much yep. rather lose that game 3-1, but at least have Salah on the field to say that for 90 minutes we gave it everything we got. But, you know, even if we lost Firmino, to a lesser extent, if we lost Mane, who played very well, mind you. Yes, absolutely. To lose Salah really, it kind of, it doesn't, I don't feel like we got what we were supposed to get. And I I feel robbed of an all-time potential classic Champions League final. And that's the thing that I walked away from the final the most. It was, yeah, I was disappointed in Loris Carries, my man. And we'll talk about him in a minute. But what Sergio Ramos did, whether it was clinical, whether it was clumsy, whether it was by accident, regardless, it ruined the game. It absolutely ruined the game because it, you know, if Real Madrid lost that game and Ronaldo got injured, 
Madrid fans would have been crying the same way that I am right now. But I also tweeted it. Madrid had so much depth. But let's let's continue on this chronological thing. But well, what I, w- I was going to bring up before we move on from Salah's injury, uh, I mean, obviously we both agree that it seemed somewhat uh, intentional from Ramos. I don't want to say premeditated. I think it was just one of those things where he was wrapped up with Salah. I don't. Th- I think he did it intentionally in terms of. He meant to wrap up and bring Salah with him uh, in the contact, but I don't think he meant to hurt him in that contact. Yeah. You know, it was some dark arts for sure, but I don't think it was something that, like, he deserves, like, a retrospective ban or anything like that. And then just secondly, the second effect that that Salah injury had was that it changed the game from Liverpool seeing a lot of, like, the better spells of the opening 20, 30 minutes where we had Trent Alexander-Arnold have a shot that I I thought he was going to score until Kaylor Navas uh, made a pretty good save. There were a couple of chances in there that made you think, Liverpool are having like the better of the opening salvos here. But once Salah went off, Real had pretty much no reason to really sit back and respect Liverpool anymore. No offense to Mane. Like you said, he played very well. But once Salah went off, it just they just all looked at each other and said, we can have a go here. And... You know, you guys were defending pretty well for the most part. You got a pretty good performance from the back four up until Loris Karius went and literally threw it away. Literally all three goals. Don't you dare. I'm not. Okay, look. (laughs) The first one is totally on Karius. The third one is totally on Karius. The second one is a moment of genius. That's a worldie. Like. No one's stopping that. That was, you know, you just. I think I tweeted it out. It's like. You can't do anything about that. That's just that's just a fucking incredible goal. And uh, I feel so bad for Loris Karius because he's been good down the stretch. And I had absolutely no idea what he was thinking on the, the goal he gave up to Benzema. Like, that I don't is- think he was thinking, to be honest with you. I think he was just... He was so... Uh, <laughs> For lack of a better word, he was so focused at being just sort of like of losing his nerves in such like a big game that he tried to just sort of like play without overthinking everything. And in the process, he became unfocused and completely missed a very easy read that most keepers would make. Absolutely. It's, that's a good point. But yes, I I don't want to be that guy and say Loris Karius lost us the final because... I think there were other factors, and I think as a positive for Madrid, and not to take, you know, good play away from them, they had incredible depth that they brought on. Gareth Bale came on, was excellent. Um, Ronaldo didn't do much, uh, but their midfield was massive. Um, they, they, like you said, they totally took over the game once Salah came off. Um, but all in all, I was proud of Liverpool. Um, man of the match has to be Bale for the performances he put up but um I, I was going to go Modric to yeah. be honest Modric I, or Ramos if you if you like what <laughs> Ramos did because <laughs> um, Ramos defensively was like a monster you saw him getting in the way of blocking shots everywhere I want to nominate three Liverpool players who won't get the plaudits from this game that they deserve and that's chiefly Dayan Lovren did a very good job in defense uh definitely one of the better performances I've ever seen and I never thought that I'd be highlighting him like this uh secondly like i said already sadio mane totally took over the offensive after salah came off uh looked reminiscent of the player of last year uh got his 20th goal in the season 
um, just showed that he's a player who deserves to be at a top-tier level, and he is. And lastly, again, somebody already said, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Ronaldo didn't do much, and he was running down that flank all day. And 19-year-old Trent, I'm not going to say he, you know, pocketed Ronaldo because that was on Twitter, but it wasn't true. But Trent Alexander-Arnold really proved himself. And, you know, Nathaniel Robertson as well. Yes. With the last ditch tackle on Ronaldo near the end of the game there. Yeah. A couple other plays, obviously, but that one really stood out. Yeah. Um, It still sucks. Uh, I I sat right outside of Penn Station and by Madison Square Garden in New York City. I walked back from uh, my office to the train to get the train home. And I sat outside of Penn Station in this little sitting area for like 45 minutes and was just like scrolling through Twitter. No, no music on, just like, like reading through stuff. And it was wild, like walking the 14 blocks from my office back to the train I saw a ton of soccer fans just came up to me and said, next year, you know. You had, the, you had the kit on. Yeah, like I got, I ran into a lot of people and just had a lot of conversations. And the the best one was I was walking and there had to be a mom in her like late 30s, early 40s with probably a seven or eight year old kid, full kit Liverpool. Oh, full kit wanker. Full kit wanker. <laughs> and I locked eyes with the mom and she looked eyes at me and I'm wearing my Firmino shirt. And we both just kind of like nodded like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of tears for a while. Like it was just like, but I'm so proud of the squad to get, uh, to see them get where they were. And if you would have told me they would have repeated top four and made a Champions League final, I would have been overjoyed with that. Um, this team's moving in the right direction. Uh, and I think, I think this is the only like, they, they, we said this in 20 when we lost in the Europa League final. Like, this is the first of many finals. Like, this isn't the last you're going to hear of this club. This is the Klopp is getting the pieces he needs. And one day, speaking of which, it certainly wasn't the last we heard of uh, this club uh, this week, at least. Uh, earlier today, from out of nowhere, I, I'm guessing to everyone. But Liverpool fans. No. Liverpool, it was out of nowhere to you too? Dude, I swear to God, I go to work on Memorial Day and at one o'clock I see the first rumors and it was like the French media that starts reporting it. Fabinho to Liverpool. I was like, okay, this is awesome. I'm a huge Fabinho guy. Liverpool locked him up and the official Twitter accounts and social media accounts were tweeting videos of him and pictures of him by like mid-afternoon or it was like literally early morning two hours after the after the french media started reporting it like liverpool tweeted it i tweeted out the video and it's like this is incredible the thing that really got me here was that you guys got him for literally a lower fee than we got timo bakayoko <laughs> yeah and he's head and shoulders the better player like i don't even like, when we bought back yoko last year i thought to myself oh great well what what would fabinho have cost then he must have cost like 70 million or something but no liverpool are getting him a 23 year old uh, center defensive midfielder who can play in a pink shirt right back uh, he, he's he's not just a defensive midfielder he's basically a box to box option who's been uh, more marshaled into that role by uh, uh, Leonardo Jardim at Monaco the last year or so. 
he's a do-it-all kind of player, and he's going to really excel, maybe take some time to adapt to Klopp's style. I think he even said that himself today, but it's a scary signing to pair with Nabi Keita. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like just piss in your, your, your cornflakes here, but if you guys had managed to keep Philippe Coutinho, which I know isn't an option, he was going to leave, but if you guys had managed to keep Coutinho and play a midfield three of Keita, Fabinho, Coutinho behind that current front three you have, that's a league winning front three for me. You guys are still like, you're in the conversation now with this signing, but like, with Coutinho, you guys would have been like a surefire like title contender and a surefire Champions League contender. Oh, and I don't disagree with you. I think I tweeted it on Saturday. I hate Coutinho even more right now than I did in January. Um, because, again, we didn't have the depth to bring on to really s- to keep us in that game. And you Your know, first sub was Adam Lallana. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but... While yes, I I have no more love lost for Coutinho at Liverpool. Uh, there's some other pretty high profile names that are being linked to the club. Most notably, uh, there's some pretty reliable people tweeting out there that Nabil Fakir could be days away from a Liverpool signing. Yeah, Nabil Fakir. For anyone who's not uh, aware of him, he's. Uh... Olympic Lyonnais, their captain for the last year or so, had probably his best year at Lyon this past year, scoring something like 18 goals and providing uh, eight or nine assists in the league. He's a second striker who can also double as a center attacking midfielder. He, he's a hell right of a wing. player. Yes, he can play on the wings too. He's 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 pretty well suited for this system. And the other player that I'm hearing a little bit less linked, but if you can manage to get both of them would be huge is uh, Thomas Lamar, which is kind of a continued link from previous transfer windows. But we'll see if, uh, if you guys get one of those players, that's a pretty good early transfer market with so much with, with obviously the market closing a bit earlier this season, it's going to be important to get these big signings done sooner rather than uh, later. The other thing I I still think that they're going to need to address and at we all know my, my affinity for Carius, but having the moment like that on Saturday in the biggest stage, I do worry about his mental state of bouncing back, which is why I don't think it would be a mistake to go out. And if Roma want $80 million for uh, for Allison, push the chips to the center of the table. If Madrid want, if Atletico Madrid want $90 million for Oblak because Allison goes to Real Madrid, push the chips to the middle of the table you cannot guarantee first of all Mignolet is gone and I'm not convinced that Danny Ward is ready go get a top level goalkeeper I I will just mention that uh, a Man United troll account I'm guessing Uh, I saw a tweet earlier today or maybe it was Sunday after the game saying something on the lines of uh, you'll never walk alone unless you fuck up twice in a Champions League final for Liverpool, in which case none of the players will walk up to you. <laughs> Basically critiquing the fact that none of Liverpool's players really went up and consoled carries after the game. It was I mean, all they eventually players. did, but yeah, they weren't, they didn't Everyone like just, run over to him at the final whistle. No. Yeah. Um, all I'll, right. Before we leave, because there's another yeah. ridiculous Liverpool rumor I just want to put out on this podcast. Just, okay. just to scare the living shit out of you and uh, Javier. Go for it. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors from uh, 
one notable journalist who's pretty reliable. It's Rafael Hernandez. Usmane Dembele coming to Liverpool on loan to buy for next year. I, I don't see that. I, I have seen that rumor floating around by they you. They owe and us a lot of money for other. the Coutinho money uh, because they yeah. paid off in chunks. And uh, yeah, you can just erase like thirty million off that if you can just give us give us Usmane Dembele. I'm all in on that. Uh, the only thing I'd say is that that's not a very common deal to have happen. Oh no, it's not. I'm not relying you know? that to happen. But I'd be all in on it. But uh, we'll see. It, and I'll say it right now: it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it does, then you know I will honestly. I'll be happy for you, and it'll be a great team to play with in FIFA. I'll be oh very excited. Oh my god, they'll be filthy. <laughs> like you're you're talking about like a three four three with like. Man, I don't even know how you'd run set that team up. Maybe you might go it three be four a three, three four, diamond. Three. Just to like get everybody in there, and you just and have you wouldn't be able to get everyone in there. That's the point. I know. You need some depth. It'd be great. It'd be so good. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a little break here, and when we come back, Javier and I are gonna talk a little bit about that uh, super bail goal that the, the Andrew and I, I guess, uh, failed to mention a little bit on this pod, and then we'll get into some more transfer rumors uh, before our World Cup previews. This is the Ghost Goal Pod. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Ghost Call Pod. Thanks again to Andrew for stopping in to give his reactions to last weekend's Champions League final. We return now to uh, Javier. Welcome back, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be back. I just want to get your thoughts on the Champions League final. We obviously watched it together. It was a hectic match. There were a lot of ups and downs. You were pretty depressed when Salah went off injured. But, you know, tell me, what did you think of the match overall? Yeah, I mean, I mostly agree with what Andrew was saying, that the Salah going off just, you know, completely ruined the final. It just kind of took it away as a contest. You could see the the energy and just, like, the all the Liverpool players just seeing their best player, their talisman coming off. It... It just drained all of them, and I knew the second that he came off the pitch that Real Madrid were going to win that. But until then, it looked like a pretty even game. Like there was ebb and flows, and a Liverpool, lot of respect. A lot Liverpool, of respect for each other. I think had like like five or six shots in those first, you know, twenty five minutes. After that, they had no shots. So that's, I mean, that's not true. They scored. Well, well, outside outside of their goal, they like they didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like they just Mane hit the post. I'll mention. You know. Yeah. But it was it was just like it, they weren't threatening. Yeah, they weren't. It did. They didn't look nearly as 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 dangerous as they. They just looked dangerous in every moment when they had the, the front three. As soon as Salah came off, it just I don't know. It, it it ruined it as a contrast. I thought as well, obviously, that Ramos did that on purpose. Um, but you when know. you say that, like, do you mean like you? He, I don't he mean, meant okay. to hurt Salah. Yes, or do you... I do. I think. I think. I think. Especially because I've had a the same in- shoulder injury. I've had a shoulder injury, and I could tell. The second that Ramos was falling, I was like, "Oh, that's bad." And I thought he like that shoulder. You mean Salah out. was falling? With Salah yeah. was falling with Ramos, I was like, oh, "That like that looked really bad." But how do and you it, take okay. from that that it was um, and, and it was intentional and, and by Ramos? Yeah, there's there's this people say we're talking about it on Twitter and online saying, "Well, Salah, you know, grappled and grabbed onto Ramos's arm first, but Ramos was behind him, so Ramos was clearly still trying to stop him. Like Salah got the better of him, and that was a foul. It was surprising number one that that wasn't called as a foul at all. I mean, it just looked like a tussle. It just looked like two two players, like, shoulder, Ramos, shoulder and Ramos, like, the from ball. behind, 
was pulling him back. Like, yes, they were grappling arm to arm, but it was only because Ramos was, was, had, beat, had been beaten to the ball. So I think it was, should have been a yellow card, not a red card. But, and I, I do think like, Ramos knew what he was doing. It's, it's one of those things where like, players sometimes in tackles, they'll leave a foot in, or, or you'll see them, uh, like, like as soon as the ref turns around, like a player will get up and they'll like do a little st- stomp on, on the player, you know what I mean? Or like, or like maybe they're jumping over the dark ball. arts. Yes, dark arts. They're jumping over the ball and they'll just clip the player with the back of their heel. And, oh, I'm so sorry. Most like ninety five percent of the time, the players know what they're doing. Ramos hundred percent knew what he was doing here. He knew that he was falling down with all his weight on on Salah's arm, and Salah probably gonna get bruised, a little bit shaken up. He probably didn't think, oh, I'm gonna pop this guy's arm off, but. That was like a judo hold. He he got him in a pretty pretty good hold, and it was in his arm and Salah's arm was. In, I mean, that's the most vulnerable position, right? Your arm behind your back stretched with all the weight like this. You know that that You're coming down, landing, coming down, full force right on the shoulder. Yeah, a, a professional athlete knows what's going on there, and so, especially someone like Ramos. I you know I I think it was intentional. I think he wanted to take him out of the game, and it's really unfortunate that he got what he wanted and he got away with it. So see, I think you're you're taking it a, a step further, where like. Uh, in the heat of it, we were both agreeing, like, Ramos definitely meant to uh, injure Salah. I remember right. us saying that during the match on Saturday. But as I've gone back and watched it and had a little bit of time, like, to process it, I definitely think that he was he meant to hold Salah back. He meant to foul Salah and keep him from, obviously, getting to the ball. Because, like you said, Salah had him beaten and was going to get to the ball first. And as soon as he wrapped up that arm and started pulling Salah with him... right. I don't think, when I say intent, I don't think his intent was to injure him. I think his intent was to stop him from getting to the ball, and his intent was to foul him and bring him down with him. Right. I, but, I don't think but, he's but thinking But where like, I think the extra dark arts and where I think that he's thinking is leaving that all of his weight on the guy's arm. You know what I mean? He didn't need to do that. He could have let go of his arm while they were falling. He didn't need to put all of his weight down on the guy's arm when they're falling down. So uh, that's where I thought that it was, you know, intentional, and that's where I think it was mean. But... It's possible that Liverpool would have won, but I mean, in the end, Real Madrid were were much the better team and deserved to win this game. Well, like I said with Andrew, like as soon as Salah goes off, Real Madrid just thinks to himself, "Oh, okay, we don't necessarily need yeah, to respect just, you." Yeah, they didn't anymore. fear them any. You would see the Liverpools just out of familiarity and out of practice while Salah's on the pitch, uh, just having being able to play those balls immediately when they win possession back and play balls in behind in that right channel that Salah usually occupies. They kept doing that, even when he went off the pitch. Maybe not every single time, but there were definitely some times where just from practice, from doing it right. over they and over again. They tried to treat Lallana like Salah. Right. Yeah, which and is, it's just those runs weren't there. And Real knew it, and Marcelo knew it, and he was able to get forward. And uh, albeit was a slight deflection, he played a very driven cross into the box in the middle of the second half that Gareth Bale managed to get on the end of uh, and produce. Was there a deflection? I thought, or it was, it it was, was a, a very slight deflection. It was a, it was a right-footed cross, too. It was a right-footed cross, and it was a very slight deflection from whoever, whatever Liverpool player was tracking back. But Gareth Bale was able to get on the end of it and produce the second-best goal in the Champions League this season. It's, no. it's official. The no. Champions League announced Definitely today. Not. They announced today the goal of the season was Ronaldo versus Juventus. No. And Gareth Bales came in second. Gareth Bales was the best. It's probably I the agree. best goal I... I've ever seen. Just in the sense that it, because of the occasion in a final, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a goal that good and that big of an occasion. Um, in my lifetime, at least. Zidane versus Bayern Leverkusen. 
right. in the Champions League final 2002. That was I wasn't watching that Champions League final. Crazy but, goal. I, um, I didn't watch it live either. I was that like goal 10. is very very close. Is very close between this and the Bell goal. You could argue, but I mean, the, what technique? Like what? I mean, the guy's world class. He'd come on the pitch two minutes earlier. Right, yep. yeah, that was basically his first kick of the ball. No, he, you know what he'd had. He'd had. A, I remember, like as soon as he came on the pitch, uh, the players were looking for him. They passed him the ball like two or three times, a couple giving goes to get him into the game, and then two minutes later he scores this like amazing goal, and I'm just like, wow, like what a life, what a life, Zidane. Just you, you know, you're, hey, you're, he was the one who made the sub. He should have started him from the beginning, obviously, right. but he was the one who made the sub with obviously the game. In Real's control, relatively in terms of possession, but they they still needed that that little push to get them over the edge, and boy did they get it when Bale came on. And for me, uh, like when you guys were talking about the man of the match, um, it was in between Gareth Bale and Modric for me. I thought Modric was phenomenal, a monster. I mean, every single time Liverpool played their high press on him, I, I don't think I ever saw him lose the ball. Yeah, I think every single time he broke out of the press. Moved Real Madrid forward. He was back to playing ball. defensively, it, it was, helping was, out Nacho. It was unbelievable, and it and I think Modric has been the best midfielder in the world for the last three or four years. Yep. He eclipsed, you know, once he, once Xavi retired, I think he kind of moved above Iniesta and Xavi, and kind of took that mantle. And I mean, four Champions Leagues in five years with Modric, Bale, Ronaldo, Marcelo, Ramos. Don't forget we, Tony Cruz. Tony Cruz, five, five. Champions Leagues he in has the last five. seven years, right? Even even better. That's, that's I mean these these players. I mean, you know, a lot of it's going to be talked about how many you know Champions Leagues you know Ronaldo and 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 all these players have been there for that whole this whole time. Benzema, yeah, they all have they all have four four and like I said Tony five Champions Leagues. I mean, this is one of the greatest teams ever, and three peeing like this, it's going to be remembered you know for for our whole lives and and Zidane. His first three seasons, all Champions League. It's all down here from here, Zinedine. It can't keep going. It can't. You can't keep this up, man. Retire now. Take, yeah, just take, stop. <laughs> take over the France national team before the World Cup starts. You know, get Deschamps out of there. Get Zidane in. Can you, you know, imagine that they win the World Cup and they're just like, all right, Zidane. Like, Everything he touches. Right, he becomes the president. <laughs> Give me your quick thoughts on Carius. Obviously, Liverpool fans will be very disappointed with the two big mistakes. We obviously covered... The first mistake more so. Uh, Andrew and I covered the first mistake uh, a little bit more. But the, the second one was almost as bad. No, I would I would argue that the second one was worse. Okay. Because good. the first one was a freak moment, right? It was just, it happens, it, look, you've seen some of the, like, you've seen keepers do that before. And mm, it's like no. a one in a thousand thing where, no. like. I, 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 can I just say right now, I've never seen a keeper do that before. Let alone in in the Champions League final, the, yeah. the oh biggest God. like game in club football. Well, I, I mean, I I honestly think Carius is never going to recover from this. I don't think he'll ever be. I <laughs> you see the links linking him to the Italian third, <laughs> <laughs> third like tier now. Like all these teams in Italy just want him. They're like, oh yeah, we'll take him for a year loan or whatever. Like I mean, imagine if that he just this sunk guy. That low. This guy is gonna. It's gonna haunt him for the rest of his career. From now on. Anytime this guy makes a mistake, I'm like, oh, Carius, look, this is the, the, the guy who lost it for Liverpool. When he doesn't make a mistake, anytime a ball is played into the area, anytime someone takes a shot from distance... You know it's going to be in his head. Well, it's going to be in fans' heads. It's going to be... In the players' heads. Everyone around him. No one's ever going to forget this. So, like Andrew said, I feel for the guy. And, you know, I... I 
he'd been doing well for the second half of the season, established himself as Liverpool's number one. But let's be honest here. We always thought that they've had a weakness there, even when Karius had established yeah. himself. And they still need to go into the transfer market and get a, get a better goalkeeper. That's that's just the bottom line. And, you know, if they, if they with these two signings they have, Fabinho and Keita, if they get one of Fakir and Lamar, and, and if they can get a goalkeeper there, they're definitely going to be challenging up there. So, you know, Klopp seems to be having them on the right track. And, you know, they, they're, he's still doing really good things there. So... Give, give them the money. Speaking of the transfer market, it's been a relatively busy transfer window the last couple of weeks in the Premier League. Arsenal looks set to sign Socrates Papastopoulos. Papastopoulos. We do this every time he comes Papastopoulos. Let's just call him Socrates. Right. Uh, Papa. Papa. Uh, I call him Papa. Socrates Papa. is a center back from Borussia Dortmund. He's 29 years old. He's relatively quick uh, and he looks pretty like a very cheap option for the good quality of player that he is. Yeah, it looks to be at 17 million pounds. I was just, I thought it was 20, but yeah, even better. Uh, and Arsenal also look relatively close to signing Stefan Licksteiner, former yeah, both of Juventus them, right Both back. of them, I would say, are almost certain at this point. You know, it's just they're they're doing the last of the paperwork. You're going you're gonna to probably see it by the end of the week. Watch United just come in and swoop and get Socrates. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, and the reason I think we're getting these players is because Emery doesn't have a huge budget. And I think he's just trying to find players to bring more experience, bring more depth to the squad while not spending that much money. I think we'll see one or two big signings. I just think that, you know, he's getting the the depth and the 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 some of those signings that we've been dying for experience for a long time. And yeah, experience that we haven't had. And Wenger I don't think would have bought either one of these players, so Definitely I, not like Steiner. He's something like 34, 35. Right, he's 34. He's, he's been at Juve the entire time, ever since Antonio Conte. Uh, Conte he was still the first had a one. good season last year, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have him as a backup to, uh, to Hector and to play, you know, maybe, maybe some, some... He could even start, you know what I mean? He, it, it's going to put pressure on Hector, and I think we're going to see a positive... I think he'd be comfortable with Licksteiner starting games yeah. where Arsenal aren't necessarily going to have a lot of the ball. Exactly. And then against he's some better, of the lesser teams, definitely a better play, defender put than Bellerin Hector. for his right. pace. Exactly. Man City have basically wrapped up two very, very major oh. signings, I would argue. And, you know, the rich get richer. Uh, you, you expected this from Pep Guardiola's side. so depressing. Side. It was announced like it was... It feels like they're getting, like, KD or something. Like, they're just... <laughs> oh, okay, like, yeah, yeah, we won a couple ships. Let's, let's win a couple more. No, no, that's like if Real Madrid get, like, Neymar. That's, right. That's, yeah. It's like, uh... <laughs> this is the Golden State Warriors just getting, just, just boosting. This is just like, better. this is like, come on, guys, like... I haven't told them what the signings are yeah, yet. Yeah, all right. Manchester City are very close to signing uh, Riyad Mahrez from Leicester City for about $75 million. He's 26 or 27, obviously a former Premier League player of the year, the year that Leicester won the league. He's not really dropped off since then. No, he, he showed that he's been just he's, as good. He's good. Uh, the league form hasn't really shown for that in that time. You know, the Leicester City aren't continuing to challenge for top four since then, but Mahrez and Vardy are ever present in terms of their form for the club. Does he fit in right away as a starter for you? Yeah. But he's still going to play 35, 40 games. Do you think Riyad Mahrez is comfortable going and not playing on that right wing over uh, Sterling right away? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think he's going to be comfortable sitting on the bench at the beginning. Uh, I don't think he's going to... He seems like kind of like a humble guy. I don't think he's going to like demand that he needs to be starting immediately. But I think Pep's going to be realistic and tell him, look, Raheem's the starter right now, but we need you. We're, we have Champions League. We have FA Cup. We have League Cup. And Premier League and Raheem didn't play every game last year. I had to, you know, rest him a bunch. 
So, and I, you know, I, I don't see him um, now. I think Bernardo Silva might be a little bit, uh, well, there he, might be questions about him now. Uh, because that's now three people who want to play on that right wing. Now, Bernardo, he seems he can maybe play a little bit more like his David Silva replacement. Right. He can maybe play on the left wing as well. So David you know, Silva sure played a lot players, of minutes right. this season. That he probably won't necessary. be able to play as many this year. Yeah, he probably won't need to play as many this year. But, you know, I I think ultimately that this signing is a luxury signing and gives them just even more depth. Just... Uh, it's I'm 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 more upset about the Jorginho signing though to be honest. Yeah, that's that's the other one that seems yeah, pretty Mars close. Yeah, Mars is great, but that's just like that's just more riches. Jorginho actually is a player in a position that I think they needed. Yeah, Jorginho this is one of the best players they could have gotten. He's a center midfielder, deep lying center midfielder, kind of a a playmaker, I guess for the layman who hasn't really watched him too much. The way I'd kind of describe him, just to give you an idea of like the role he played for Napoli the, the last two seasons under Maurizio Sarri, kind of in that Andrea Pirlo Regista role, deep line playmaker. He's not bringing a lot like defensively to the club, but he's dominating the tempo of the game. He is the player that I think next to Drias Mertens was the most important to Napoli in perfecting that system. Uh, obviously, they didn't win any trophies, but as a Chelsea fan, who my club are very close, supposedly, to signing Mar- Maurizio Sarri, I thought if they brought in Maurizio Sarri, that Jorginho would be like one of the first players that Sarri would look to sign. And this that's a worry to me. Like Assuming that Sarri comes in, Jorginho going to Man City uh, means that we're already... We're already like this, this... at sixes and sevens looking for a new uh, player to fill that role. Because Chelsea don't ha- have anyone outside of Cesc Fabregas right now to play that role. Right. And... Jorginho is a far superior player in that role to Cesc Fabregas. He's younger, something like 26. Uh, Italian international, I think has Brazilian roots. Could have played for either, and uh, Italy were the first to call him up earlier this season. He's a really excellent player. I've been on record on this podcast for the last year or so, saying that he's my favorite non-Chelsea player to watch, uh, just for like the very small subtleties in his game. And... I thought he should have been playing for Italy in the qualification games for basically that whole last cycle. He only really played the the last game, the nil nil against Sweden that saw him get knocked out of uh, World Cup qualification. He was one of the best players on the field during that game, and you, you just couldn't help but think to yourself, like, if they had played this this man and gotten him far more integrated into the squad and into the style of play, their whole team would have been so much further along now. And God only knows how good. That city team could be uh, with him, and and I don't know even whose place he takes. He well, he, he could it's, feel it's, like he's just he's just he's just one time when you know De Bruyne or when Fernandino needs to drop out. Now they they have they have they have a player to rest them. They have the backup, and and this is I think he replaces David Silva to be honest. Like I, off the bat, you could see I like mean, De Bruyne and Fernandino and Jorginho sure, play in a midfield three. Sure, but I and I think that this is just establishing now. Man City as a dynasty, and you know we may, may see them win five out of the next seven titles. You know I'm not ready to go there yet. Uh, I'm not ready to go. Definitely not that far. This is this is this is in the vein of they need three in a row before we can start talking about that. Well, just listen. This is this is them. This now is three summers that this is Pep's third summer, and it seems like every summer he's done this, where you know he'll have he'll just bang out a couple huge signings right at the beginning of the summer. And he'll get the players for not that you know Mares for seventy five million that's pretty expensive but forty eight million for someone like Jorginho 
I mean, this guy, he, he, he keeps surprising me. He keeps doing super well in the transfer window. And as long as they have Pep Guardiola, I think that they're going to they're gonna be dominant in the league. And if they're not being dominant in the, in the league, you know, they're going to be right there fighting for the title and they're going to be they're going to be in the doing well in the Champions League. So, I'm super scared of them. The player that I think has to make a leap of sorts to get City to that dynasty level that you're talking about, I think has to be Gabriel Jesus. He's um, he's not played badly. He's been very good since he got to Man City. He's got struggled issues, struggled yeah. with a few injuries here and there. But if he really puts it together this season, scores 20 goals by March in the league, they'll be able to sell Aguero for a pretty handsome fee. Looks like he may, he's, he's maybe trying to make an Atletico move this summer, which would make sense with Griezmann leaving. And the World Cup. And the World Cup. It would be a good time. He's 29-30. That seems a little bit more like grandstanding, like media grandstanding than anything. I don't think Atletico, you know, just just having signed Diego Costa for... A decent amount for what the uh, yeah, for what they're used to. Like they, 45, they, they just 50 added million. him as as a partner for Griezmann. If Griezmann leaves, they're going to need someone to replace him. You know, so I don't think Diego was coming in. I don't know. If, I don't know if Diego him. Costa and Sergio Aguero can play together. I'm just I'm just putting that out there. Well, that's not a good partnership. Those are two players that prefer playing as the lone striker in a in a in a front three rather than with a partner. So if Jesus can make that leap. To being like twenty, maybe even thirty goals, goal a season scorer, with everything else he does to contribute to that city squad, and obviously everyone knows about like his uh, winning percentage when he starts for City. I don't think they've lost a game that he's started. That run, that run might have come to an end uh, against United. Yeah, but you know that's the first two seasons basically in the Premier League that he hadn't lost a game that he started. That's an impressive. That's an impressive run. And shows that he's a top quality player who doesn't just score goals. He does every other uh, little thing so impressively as well. Speaking of Manchester United, one one last rumor here, right? Yeah, the, uh... this is this is one that uh, a player that Man City had been linked with for a very long time, but it looks like they've gone cold on Man United. Looks so set. They just went with Mares instead. Well, it looks like they went with Jorginho instead. Yeah, either one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Man United looks set to sign uh, Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk. He's a Brazilian defensive midfielder. He's uh, I think he's I think he's an isn't he an attacking? No, midfielder? he's he's like a defensive midfielder who okay. can carry the ball forward from like defensive line into the attacking lines. He's he's a Fernandinho basically. He's uh, he's the second coming of Fernandinho. Still very capable going forward. He can hit a mean free kick and has very good technical ability on free kicks. But it's a player that, if you put him next to Nemanja Matic, can be definitely an upgrade in a year or so from Ander Herrera. It all really depends on how he settles into life in the Premier League. But, you know, you look at that midfield of Fred, Matic, Pogba. There's a lot of things to like about that. Maybe yeah. maybe, maybe the experience factor of getting Fred, like, sort of integrated into the squad and up to speed with the Premier League and champ uh, well not the Champions League he's been playing in the Champions League but up to speed with the Premier League right away you might worry about but eventually when they if they get enough games that could be a very ferocious fearsome typical Jose Mourinho type midfielder all right thanks for listening to the Ghost Goal Pod just to finish up we've got a 5 or 6 minute interview that Andrew did earlier today in Times Square so uh, apologies for any audio issues Heard plenty of sirens and, and car car alarms going off in the background of this one. But, you know, Andrew got his former co-worker, David Mossy, in. 
to do a quick five-minute interview literally in the middle of Times Square. You can find David Mossy on Twitter, at StatmanMoss. It's spelled like my last name, Moss, but with an E on the end of it, Mossy. You can find him on Fox Sports. He's a researcher, writer, podcaster, and regularly appears on Alexi Lalas' State of the Union podcast. Give it up for Andrew Bissaro and David Mossy. All right, guys, uh, this is Andrew checking in. We are live in Times Square, New York, and I am uh, very excited to be joined by a longtime friend of the program, uh, Mr. David Mossy, at Statman Mossy on Twitter. Uh, definitely go check out his uh, appearances on his podcast, the State of the Union podcast, presented through Fox Sports. Uh, we are here to talk today about the most recent Liverpool signing, and that would be Defensive midfielder Fabinho coming from Monaco to Liverpool for a price of £39 million plus an additional £5 million on potential add-ons. Uh, as a Brazilian, how do you feel about this move for Fabinho? First off, great to finally be on this pod. This has been a long uh, dream of mine, Andrew. Great to be reunited with you. Um, I love this move for Liverpool. I think it's terrific. Helps you uh, shake off those doldrums from the Champions League final with Fabinho on the way. Nabi Kate as well, possibly... Fakir, maybe even a goalkeeper. So I think Liverpool are heading in the right direction. I think this appearance in the Champions League final was the start of something, and they can certainly build on this momentum. Fabinho is uh, the defensive midfielder that we've talked about Liverpool needing. What do you? What, how would you describe him to someone who hasn't seen him before? Uh, he's a player that adds a lot of bite to that Liverpool midfield. Great at um, winning uh, the ball back. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the stats uh, the last few days on, on how many tackles he's won and uh, recoveries and all that, um, and, and pretty good range of passing, uh, too. I don't think he's, I wouldn't qualify him as much of a box-to-box midfielder. I don't think he's going to get up the field that much, but uh, I think as a stay-at-home defensive midfielder, he, he's going to contribute a lot to Liverpool. The interesting thing about Fabinho, of course, is he first rose to prominence at right back and actually was getting picked a lot for Brazil when he was at right back. He was in the 2015 Copa America squad, the 2016 Centenario squad, would have been the starting right back uh, in the Olympic team, but Monaco didn't release him because they needed him to play Champions League qualifying that summer. Uh, and it was over the course of that 2016-17 season that he made the move to midfield, and that ironically kind of hurt his Brazil chances because uh, Monaco played a different system than Brazil, and Chichi didn't feel like he'd be a great fit for Brazil in the midfield, didn't want to call him a right back anymore since he wasn't playing there for his club. So that's why he's not on the World Cup squad, but don't read too much into that. In terms of quality, he could walk into that Brazil lineup and wouldn't look out of place. He's a, he's a world-class player, great addition for Liverpool. All right, so before I let you go, I got two quick questions, both pertaining to your beloved Brazil. Are they going to win the World Cup this summer? Uh, they're certainly capable. Uh, I think the top three teams are Spain, Germany, and Brazil in that order. Um, I filled out my uh, bracket the other day. Uh, I have Spain meeting Brazil in the final. I, I do lean slightly towards Spain. Uh, Spain are my pick, but Brazil more than capable. I like this team. I love the coach. Chichi, I'm very excited for this tournament. My lastly, Brazil's most favorite son, Neymar. Does he stay at PSG long term, or do you think he does finally? Do you want it? All right, let me rephrase, let me rephrase that. Do you want to see Neymar end up at Real Madrid one day? Uh, no. Um, it was a big call to go from Barcelona to PSG. I had my doubts about it. Um, but once you make that move, I think you can't bail on it after a season or two. You got to keep trying to, to win the Champions League there. Mbappe is going to get better. They brought in a new coach in Tuchel. 
maybe they can make some other additions. I know they're hamstrung a little bit with financial fair play, but still, you got to stick it out there for another couple of years. He only played 30 games this season. He got injured a little past, past the halfway point of the season, so it's too soon for him to turn around and go to Real Madrid. And for him to go to Real Madrid after they've won three in a row would be like Durant joining the Warriors. I don't want that. Let's try to do something special with PSG. Let me sneak one more in there. Dark horse for the World Cup. Who, who should I watch out for? I love Uruguay. Uh, in my bracket, I have them um, getting to the semifinals, eliminating Portugal and France along the way. Um, I think they have a real nice blend of youth and experience. Some of the young players that have emerged to go along with Suarez, Cavani, Godin. Um, I love the coach. Tavares has been there forever. Uh, he's taken them to a semifinal in 2010, and I think he does it again. I have Uruguay in my last four. So if they count as a sleeper, I know they've won it twice, but it was back in the Stone Age, so I think they count. Um, so, yeah, Uruguay are my sleeper. There you go, guys, the uh, David Mossy ghost goal appearance that Twitter has been begging for. Uh, like I said, go follow him on Twitter, at Statman Mossy. Catch out his, go check out his podcast. We'll throw some retweets to that on the ghost goal account. Uh, this is Andrew signing off from Times Square.